right, boys and girls, episode 110 with Pat Flynn is about to start. This means I only have 90 episodes to go until we hit 200, which is exciting. Uh, So this episode with Pat was just plain amazing. He just blows my mind every time I hear him speak when it comes to business and life. For such a young individual, he almost sounds like he's lived through a couple lifetimes and sheds a lot of light on stuff that we deal with on a daily basis and makes business simple and fun to learn about. So let's get into this episode. Hope you enjoy it as much as I did. And here we go. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Cut the Shit, Get Fit. I'm your host, Rafael Matuszewski, and joining me today is the awesome Pat Flynn. Say hello. Well, hello, everybody, and thank you for having me on. No problem. So I always like to start the show with breaking the ice for the audience and asking my guests, what do you got planned for the weekend? Ooh, you know, um, well, here's the big plan. We're going to drop our three kids off at the YMCA for parents night out and then we're going to figure out what we want to do for parents night out so that's as far as we've gotten and um you know once you once you have three kids it's it's hard to even imagine what you're going to do when those three kids aren't around so we're just so excited to think that we're going to have a night by ourselves that we haven't even begun to decide what exactly we're going to do with ourselves jeez we'll probably end up missing the kids and just go pick them back up (laughs) wow How, how old are you by the way so I'm 20 I'm 28 man three kids already you are crushing it yeah so I got started early on pretty much everything fortunately you know business kids so I figure I could probably be out of this life by 35 and on to the next <laughs> yeah well that explains like like when I listen to your other show uh, the business podcast like it, you just come across of just like so much life experience and you're so young and I'm like what is it I'm like oh it's the three kids it just like hammered you right into like adulthood well, it, it, this is true. I'm a big fan of putting metaphorically a gun to your head in as many situations as you can. I don't think humans are made of glass, and I think the more you pamper yourself, the more you'll procrastinate and just generally not be good at a lot of things. So I was unfortunate at the time, but fortunate looking back, to be put in a series of situations throughout my life where I really had to grow up and mature and fix myself pretty quickly. Children was just one of them. Um, but it was an important one because, you know, when, when you have a kid on the way, it, it changes everything, especially when you're you're very young and you're starting a business. So I had my first kid, you know, in the midst of of growing my business. So, you know, and I wanted to be somebody who didn't just, you know, have my business and this, you know, a kid on the side who I sometimes maybe paid attention to. You know, I really wanted to be a the best father that I could. I knew how important that was. So it made me really speed things up and, and, and think systems and scalability so that way I could free myself to, to, to be there for my kids and also my wife too. So yes, as much as you can, I'm a big fan of, of pressuring yourself. Um, in these do or die situations, humans are pretty good at doing. Occasionally they may die, but <laughs> yeah, that was so, awesome. So maybe, yeah. I'll, we'll touch back onto that, but I'd like for the audience, cause you're brand new to my show. Like, can you tell them who you are, what you do and how did you get into this industry? Sure. Yeah. I'm, Pat Flynn, I'm a generalist, and that means I believe it's better to be better than it is to be best. What I mean by that is when it comes to life, I believe if you can get good to great at 
many different things and at least fairly competent at everything else and then learn to combine and stack those skills, you will have far more advantages in life creatively and competitively than if you just tried to be the best at any one thing. So that's the theme of the of a book that I'll have coming out next year. But applied to fitness, I make the same argument. I believe it's better to be better than it is to be best. I'm somebody who promotes GPP. I think that you should explore all varieties of fitness skills. I don't believe that certain things as strength and aesthetics or strength and flexibility need to be at odds. I think with a smart um, GPP programming approach, uh, you can have the best of all worlds. So if you want to be a specialist, if you want to be a professional power lifter or a marathon runner, I'm certainly not your guy. But if the idea of being good to great at many different things appeals to you, then I'm, I'm probably somebody who's going to say something interesting. Awesome. So how did you get into the fitness industry in the very beginning? Like what got you thinking like, oh, this is for me, this is going to be my career? Yeah. So it came from a very negative point at first. Um, I grew up very unhealthy, very overweight, um, very anxious, periods of depression, all those things. And I went to a doctor and she told me that if I didn't get my act together, it's, you know, I could have a heart attack before I was 40. And I was probably around 12 or 13 at this time. And that's, that's quite a shock, especially for a kid that has anxiety problems to begin with. <laughs> so that's what pushed me toward the direction of, of thinking about doing something, of, of trying to, to get my life in order or at least a decent physical shape. So, you know, made every mistake that you could possibly make from there as a, you know, 12, 13-year-old kid trying to figure out fitness for himself pretty much, especially growing up in a household and family of, of people who have no idea what healthy eating or physical exercise even is. Uh, my mom had a few exercise tapes and books flying around the house that, you know, she never really used, and I kind of started there. E eventually, however, I got into martial arts, so it was it was Taekwondo that really was the turning point for me, where I really started to embrace physical culture. My Taekwondo coach um, was an excellent coach um, in many different regards, strength training being one of them, and that completely changed my life. Uh, you know, I overcame enormous physical and emotional obstacles by getting in shape, by taking my training and my health seriously, my eating seriously. It taught me discipline. It taught me patience. It taught me perseverance. You know, all the things a martial art should teach you, but also that the gym can teach you, I began to learn. And those things carried over into other areas of my life. So I became very passionate about it, I realized, wow, it can do this much for me, then certainly it can do this much for other people. And that's when I decided this is this is what I want to do. I want to teach this stuff. So, you know, started diving in as much as I could into becoming a coach, started personal training to pay my way through college. Uh, and that's it, you know, and the kind of things kind of grew from there when I transitioned online. And but it all came back to this point of I can trace it back to that exact moment when that, that, um, that doctor kind of gave me that tough love of saying what the potential consequences of my actions. This was before you could be healthy at any size, of course, before that was a yeah. thing. And, and so until that was a thing where you could be unhealthy at, at, at any size, um, yeah, that was a turning point for me. And, it, you know, what started out as a point of pain became the most positive and beneficial thing in my life. No, like, I really like stories like that because I just feel like coaches who've been through a struggle like that just kind of get clients a little bit better. And I'm kind of curious about your opinion on this is that because you started with an unhealthy 
starred and was overweight and had to go through all those things, do you feel like you have an upper hand when it comes to coaching people that are looking to lose weight compared to the coach that's been fit their entire life? Um, it depends. And this is a really good question. Um, I think I have a certain ability to sympathize and empathize, which can be helpful from an emotional coaching perspective. Now, from a technical perspective, can I argue that I have more ability there? Well, I would say yes, but not because I've been through it necessarily. And I, I suppose the analogy I would give is, you know, if I have brain cancer, I'm not necessarily going to look for other people who had brain cancer, right? Mm -hmm. I'm going to look for the, whoever is the best neurosurgeon in the country right, for this. They don't necessarily need to have had brain cancer to be good at, at fixing it. Um, so same thing with fitness. Um, and, and, you know, so I believe I do have a special quality since I've been through this, the ability to empathize and, and sympathize and, and form emotional connections and be like, yes, I've been there. Um, you know, I can tell the stories, I can relate, I can motivate, I can inspire. And But from a technical programming standpoint, I don't think that's um, you necessarily need to discount somebody who hasn't been there. I think that's something that needs to be evaluated on its own merits. But certainly from a yeah, I've been there and I get it standpoint, I think that that has been useful for me. No, that makes a lot of sense. And like the fact that you brought up empathy is like the thing that I've been really thinking about, about kind of getting to that next level coaching. And I had uh, Stephen Ledbetter and Josh Hillis on my show a couple of weeks ago and those two are just like amazing human beings. But one of the things that Steven said that kind of like blew my mind was in one of his classes that he was taking in college, his prof said, like, if you're going to go into coaching or helping someone from point A to point B, you need to kind of look at yourself in a situation where if someone cried in front of you, how do you react? And it just like blew my mind. I was like, holy crap, that makes a lot of sense. Because a mm -hmm. lot of people might just be like, oh, I don't want to deal with that. I'm just going to like just leave you or other people who have the empathy. They're going to try to you know, help that person to feel better. So I don't even know if you can answer this, but. Yeah, no, it's, if, it's a it's a great topic. I, um, I like going. Uh, I was like for the coaches who have a tough time, like relating emotionally on that level, because sometimes I've seen coaches where they kind of give the tough love all the time where it's like, no, you just have to do this. You got to do this. Like, how do you teach someone empathy? Like, can you even, or like, well, I don't even know where I'm going yeah. with this, but yeah. <laughs> so, you know, fundamentally you're getting at much deeper issues. And I think the problem for most coaches, most people in life is they kind of operate at the tip of the iceberg, not at much deeper, more principled um, methods of orientation at like, you know, how should you really orient your life? Um, so I would argue, you know, you, you should, you should look at the study of ethics and virtues and, and see how can I be a, a virtuous person? So, you know, you should always, there's a virtue known as, as prudence, which means using right reason. And with prudence, you would realize that it, it is always beneficial to, to lead with love, right? But from there, love doesn't always mean being soft on people. It doesn't always mean pandering. So people sometimes take a, a black or white approach because they don't have they don't develop certain virtues like prudence. So some, somebody might be the tough love coach. Well, tough love's great in some circumstances. It works really well for some people. For other people, it might repel them from an activity for the rest of their life. So since you failed to use prudence to determine if this was the right circumstance for something like that, um, you have possibly lost a soul, right? Same thing. Love 
of or, or gentleness or compassion is great in certain circumstances for some people. For other people, it might just enable or perpetuate bad behavior. So it's, it's impossible to say which is the better coaching approach. Really, what you need to do is go even deeper than that and try to develop some type of habit or system of prudence where you can evaluate different personalities, different psychologies, really assess people, and then from there make the best judgment you possibly can of how you should respond to that person who's who is crying in front of you or who may not be crying from you. But for me, it'll, it'll, it comes down to the virtue of, of prudence and leading with love no matter what. And that, that means willing the good of the other. You want the best for somebody. But just because you want the best for somebody doesn't mean you're always going to take it easy on them. Certainly that wouldn't be good. Like as a parent, I would never just take it easy on my kids all the time because then they would just grow up soft and weak. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they do need a little tough love. Sometimes they do need a little discipline. So these are really good questions and they're really deep questions. And I would just encourage anybody listening as a coach to really get to the bottom like don't just don't just operate on the tip of the iceberg or the surface when it comes to coaching. You need to go all the way down and really figure like how really should I orient my life? And for that, I, I think it comes down to the studies of, of virtues and ethics. No, that made that made a lot of sense. And I think this is the stuff that a lot of coaches kind of just shove to the side and don't really pay attention to it because, like right now, I actually have an intern like learning from me, and she's been shadowing me when I'm coaching my clients. And I'm like, honestly, the coaching is the easiest part. Like you create a program, you give it to your client, you show them the exercises, you hope that they don't get injured. But like the real stuff is like the 80% where, you know, you're trying to connect with them. You're trying to lead them to success without, you know, them feeling like crap or they failed, but you want to like encourage failure. That's a part of the journey. And like I, at least I think I've done a pretty good job with it because I told her that you know most of my clients have been with me for like around seven years and I'm like I guess I'm doing something right but yeah you must be yeah so that's why I was telling her I'm like that's the hard stuff like learning how to be empathetic and like showing compassion where your client knows that they can count on you like no matter what and don't feel intimidated to ask you a question even if it's stupid in their like in their mind. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, anyway, <laughs> just totally threw out a random question like that. But um... no, it was, it was a good one. And, and you're right. I don't think people think enough about these things, um, especially when it comes to fitness coaching. You know, usually it's, oh, how, you know, make a better program or find a different program. No, it's it's deeper than that. We're, we're dealing with people. It's it's a matter of relationships more than anything. Yeah. You know, the nitty gritty when it comes to programming, you know, most any exercise program will work, right? That the marginal difference between tweaking a few variables is is generally not the problem. Oh, 100%. Um, I kind of wanted to get into like the fact that you have three kids, you have an online business, and you just seem like an amazing individual. But, you know, when you first started in the industry and you, you know, whatever led you to go online, like, when you had your first child, was that when you started going online? Like, what was the transition going to the online space and leaving the in-person business completely behind? Yeah, so I started the online shortly after I started the offline. This was this was my sophomore year of college. Going into my sophomore year of college, I started my first website. And honestly, I, I didn't have much of a plan. I just began blogging and creating as much content as I I could and specifically around kettlebells and using principles that I believed in like 
minimalism and generalism, and it really started to resonate with people. And if you know people. We're like, well, that's that's nice, you know, create content. That's yes, everybody says that. But like, what did I do specifically that was helpful? I think one thing, if I could offer a piece of advice for anybody who wants to do this, is I I certainly I've I certainly like have had arrogance issues in the past. But even then, I wasn't arrogant enough to believe that if I just started creating content or trying to help people, that everybody would suddenly discover me. So what I did is I you know I kind of went to where the attention all, already was, which back then would have been more so forums than social media, uh, kind of the equivalent of like social media groups today, kettlebell forums, things like that. And I would get really involved, and, and I would really care about answering questions and helping people and providing content when when people needed content provided. I was never spamming. I was never just posting links to my stuff. I was, I was really engaged in certain communities. And by being as helpful as I could, um, that really expanded my presence. People came to know me. They came to trust me. They came to see me as somebody who really knew what they were talking about, as somebody who was really helpful. And then those kind of all drove more people back to my website and everything I was doing generally. So that's kind of the approach that I took. And it was this very, you know, just trying to get active in as many different communities where the, where people were already gathered around the thing that I was interested in, which was kettlebells, and being as helpful as I possibly could, while at the same time, I was growing my personal training and boot camp business. And then what happened is um, come senior year, I got a series of book deals um, through Wiley to write for Dummies Books with my blog. And the online business was doing really well. That uh, that was when I decided, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go all in on this. And I actually left school with, with one class left to take. So I, I never even wrapped up my degree, which would have been in finance and economics. And that's a funny – we can return to that later. It's a funny story because <laughs> sure. I have an opportunity to go to, uh, to grad school now. So all of these years later, I'll probably have to go back and finish that up after all. Um, but I, it, I, I left that unfinished at the time that I really you know, it ended up having the kid and going all in on the online side. Wow. Um, so I kind of want to go in different directions with this, but – you know, looking back in the day when you started your website and like forums were the big thing, like, do you think it's now more difficult to go online with just the social media aspect? Or do you think it was easier back then when the internet was kind of new and just starting to get really popular with a lot of people hopping onto forums and things like that? Yeah, no, I, I think it works just as well now in some ways a lot better depending on what you're doing. And the same principle still apply, but the media has changed. So I, I would not necessarily think that forms would do as well for me now as I did back then. But Facebook groups certainly do. I'm a big fan of, of Facebook groups. I have a, a wonderful group and community of my own, and that's been a, a big part of my business for Strong On. Um, but the principles, again, of going out there understanding what people need help with, going to where the attention is and being and providing as much value as you can while also being unique. That's the key. You have to have something that differentiates you. It doesn't mean you have to be the biggest or the strongest or, or the best at something. Um, and that's kind of my idea of generalism because I'm not the biggest or the strongest, right? But I'm, I'm, I'm really good at a lot of different things. And that was always my unique kind of positioning there. It's like, yeah, if you train with me, you're probably not going to set any records in the deadlifting, but you'll have a really strong deadlift. You'll also be able to do handstands and muscle ups and, and things like that as well. And that, that really resonated with people. So I would say the principles that matter are having some type of unique 
position, going to where the attention is and bringing as much value to that community as possible, whether that is Facebook groups. You know, forums aren't dead. They're, they're still around um, and other forms of social media. Um, and, you know, you have to evaluate the social media kind of systematically because not all social media is the same. So take Facebook and Instagram, for example. Facebook is really powerful. Most powerful is an advertising platform. So most of my business comes from Facebook advertising. Now, when I started out, I didn't have an advertising budget, so that wasn't available to me. Now that I do have an advertising budget, I rely heavily on that. Other advertising platforms as well. Instagram, on the, on the other hand, with the use of hashtags, is a much better platform for getting organic exposure, kind of like I did with, with forums. So all these principles still apply. It's really a matter now of figuring out where to apply them. So form, forms were great for me back in the day. But getting organic exposure is still very possible uh, today. It's just it's just kind of shifted a little bit. Okay. Um, the other thing I wanted to bring up is like actually talking about how difficult it is to go online because the stuff you see, you know, if you go on whatever website to learn how to build an online business, it almost seems like oh, just do these steps and everything will fall into place. But really, <laughs> it's just like a lot of freaking hard work. So I'm kind of curious if you could kind of talk about how difficult it was building from the ground up and going completely online? Oh, yeah, it's complete hell. I mean, anything anything really good in life is, right? Like, if you, if you want to be great at something, then this is what the gym teaches you. You better be willing to grind, and you better be willing to grind uphill against increasing resistance as you go. So, you know, repetition and resistance, that's, that's what the gym teaches us. If we want to get efficient at something, we have to do reps. If we want to get better and stronger at it, we have to increase resistance consistently as we go along. Business is no different. You have to be willing to put in the reps every day, and you have to be willing to take on new and greater challenges as you go. And a lot of that is going to mean learning new skills. And I think that that's, you know, in, this, in the book that I'm writing now, which is business leaning. It's it's not a business book. It's it's generalism as a life philosophy, but it leans in the business. You know, I see business as, as a series of skills. You know, I don't see it as a social media platform or having an email list, but if you can develop certain skills and strength is a skill, make no mistake about it. So maybe you learn how to develop skill in the gym, but then you have to apply it in other areas if you really want to build a business. Skills like communication, copywriting, uh, speaking, persuasion, uh, selling, content marketing, advertising. There's a lot of different skills, and that's the resistance part. And if you're not willing to develop yourself in those areas, you're, you're never going to start a business, uh, or at least not a successful one. And it, all of those skills take time. So the, the longer you wait to start developing those skills, the longer it's going to be until you to you really want to get to, or until you get to the point that you want to get to. So the you know, all things in life um, that you want to achieve, you want to make sure that you set proper expectations from the start because all disappointment comes from improper expectations. So when people read these articles about fitness or business, uh, about, you know, the one easy trick or the one simple trick, to it's all a bunch of crap. It sets up the, the false expectations of people's heads. And then when they realize, oh, it's not that easy, they become enormously disappointed and they quit. But if you go in and you understand that this is going to be one of the most difficult things that you ever have to do uh, because it is a good thing, because it's worthwhile and anything good and worthwhile is difficult. And if you go in realizing that you're, you're going to have to work hard at a lot of stuff you may have never had any experience in before and you're going to be absolutely terrible at it, 
the first time you do it and probably the 100th time you do it, but you're willing to keep grinding, that's when you'll be successful. No, that made a lot of sense. Yeah, um, the other thing I was going to bring up is like, how much time did you put in building your online business? Because again, you go online to learn how to build an online business and it's like, oh, you're going to have all this free time. You can like sit on a beach with your laptop and work. So, you know, on average, how many hours per day when you were building from the ground up, like how long did it take before you actually saw some good momentum and you're like, oh, I'm making money out of this. I could do this completely full time. Yeah, so that's an interesting question. I would say usually between seven to eight. Not all those hours were direct effort, however. And what I mean by that is, you know, setting up ads on Facebook would be a direct effort. That's something that I could put in place and hopefully see some immediate return on. When it comes to building a business, you have to put in a lot of indirect effort. For example, learning to write, learning to write copy, developing skills that maybe aren't up to par to use them right away, but eventually will become enormously useful in what I'm trying to achieve. So I would say if you're, if you're not at least willing to put in eight hours a day of practice into building your business, um, then it probably isn't for you. Not because you can't do it with less hours than that, but are you willing to? And that's the question, right? If you're, if you're not willing to do it, then you just don't want it bad enough. And if you don't want something bad enough, then it's not going to happen. So I'll give you a, another quick story. You know, my background is actually in, in music of which I, I still do quite a bit of. So, uh, um, you know, I, I grew up playing guitar, and, and a switch for me was one of my favorite guitarists, his name is Nuno Betancourt. I was watching one of uh, his guitar clinics, and just an amazing guitarist. And this is when I was quite young. Um, it was the one thing I was kind of disciplined at before fitness. And somebody asked Nuno, he said, you know, how do you, what was it? I don't want to mess up the question because it was so, it was so well put that I don't want to like ruin the drama here. Um, he said, you know, how do you, how do you find the time to practice? And his answer was because I want to. Now the implication there is everybody knew that Nuno practiced guitar somewhere between eight to 12 hours a day. So the fact that his answer was just because I want to, and the look on his face absolutely proved, like there was no otherwise to him. Of course he wanted to, like it wasn't a thing for him to practice eight to 10 hours a day. That's a man who really wanted to do something. So if, if you hear that practicing something for seven to eight hours a day, if that, if that intimidates you, if you're like, ah, oh, well that's, that's not really for me, I think you need to ser seriously reevaluate the idea of wanting to start a business. And I, and I don't say that to be mean in any way. There, there's many things in my life that I absolutely don't want to put eight, seven to eight hours of practice in a day for. And those are things I don't really want to do. So wh why waste my time doing something I don't truly want to do? And if you don't truly want to start a business, there's nothing wrong with that. I would say find something you truly do want to do that you wouldn't mind spending seven to eight hours a day practicing if it makes sense to do it and do that instead. No, it makes sense. And the one thing I was going to like bring up is, you know, when I kind of made the decision that, yeah, I want to go online and start coaching people online because I think it'd be awesome and cool just to be able to reach more people that way. And I kind of use the same principle of like, you know, whatever I learned a year ago in coaching and training methods and I look back at it, I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe I used to do that. But now I apply that to like my business where I like look back on my social media posts a year ago. I'm like, oh, my God, I can't believe I only used two hashtags or I only wrote two sentences for that post where I could have like written another like 5000 characters of whatever the topic was. Right. So I think if you for business, at least 
I could be completely wrong, but looking back, say, a year ago, what you were doing online, if you've improved and you're like, oh, I can't believe I used to just do that little or wasted so much time on that, like, I feel like you're progressing in the right direction. You are completely right. Awesome. And <laughs> review, <laughs> you knew you were, review is imperative for any improvement process. If I want to get better at guitar, I need to record myself playing and I need to listen back. So that way I can detect my mistakes. People are terrible at detecting their mistakes in real time. They're, they're often usually terrible at detecting their mistakes at all. And this is why we hire coaches, right? So they can tell, tell us the things that we're doing that we shouldn't be doing or that we could be doing better. So if you want to get better at anything, whether it's technique with a barbell, uh, whether it's building a business, learning a musical instrument, becoming a better writer, the two most important things I think you can do if you're really serious about it, hire a coach number one, and to constantly review and criticize what you're doing. Both of these processes are painful. Uh, it, it requires giving yourself a tremendous amount of, of tough love, um, but that's that's the only way you're, you're going to increase the resistance and, and get to that, that next level. Nice. Now, the other thing I wanted to bring up is like looking back in your career when you first started and trying to get onto the online space, like what were a few mistakes that you look at now, you're like, oh my God, I can't believe I wasted so much time doing that. Like, can you ex explain some mistakes you've done in your business? Oh yeah, the, the biggest mistake that I made first off was not starting an email list and not listening to the coaches and the people who were telling me to start an email list. And that would still be my advice today. Um, you know, I spent maybe a year, two years of generating great content, building a, a very significant size audience and not building an email list. So the amount of potential that I lost there can can only be estimated. And it still pains me to even think about it today. So that was that's mistake number one. And people might be worried. Well, why does that matter? Isn't email dying? No, email is, is not dying. Um, everybody always tells you that email is about to die through their email marketing. It's, uh, it's interesting. Yeah. So long as people are going to have jobs, email is not going anywhere. And now email is really important because you control that channel. That's, that's an asset in your business. The problem with building your business on a certain social media platform, Facebook, YouTube, is you never know when they're going to change the algorithm. And there has, I know people, many people who have built enormously successful businesses uh, for a time on a social media platform without an email list, things changed. Uh, their traffic, their exposure got killed, and their business died. That could have all been averted if they simply maintained a database. So your business will will live and die by your database that you control, which should be, at least at this moment in time, some type of email list. So it's uh, I forget who said this analogy, but it's, it always stuck with me. So sorry for not being able to give proper attribution, but what they told me was that you know if, you, if you're just focusing on on building your business on say social media, Instagram, YouTube, or, or whatever, it's and, and you do really really well. Well, it's like having the most profitable McDonald's in the world on top of an active volcano. You it could it could blow at any minute, right? So that that is the biggest mistake that I made was not, and it's not an either or, it's a both and, right? If you're doing really, really well on any social platform, you have no excuse not to be building an email list. 
Um, so fix that mistake now if you can. It, it could it could truly save you in the future because if there's one thing we know about social media platforms, it's that they do change. And a lot of social media platforms tend to grant a lot of organic exposure at first, like YouTube and Facebook. Then once they get the momentum, they flip the switch and they start making you pay to play. And that's what kills people. Now, it's fine if you're an advertiser on Facebook. It's been great for me. But if I was only relying on organic exposure for on Facebook, my business would have sunk faster than an anvil. So that was the, that was the biggest mistake that that I, I made. I mean, there's a million other mistakes that I made. I, I don't know how many you want to you want to get into. Um, you know, and a lot of it is just it kind of takes time getting through. Um, you know, but yeah, maybe we'll just leave it at that one for now, unless you want to poke at anything else specifically. No, that that was good. And like, I'm trying to remember this meme I saw the other day about Instagram where. I'm probably going to ruin it, but it was something on the lines of like, you know, Instagram shut down. Now all the Instagram online trainers disappeared. Like, like that could happen. You, ne you never know. Like who, who knows if your country that you live in bans a certain like social platform and then everything you built is gone. And yeah. like I was um, supposed to interview another coach last weekend and she lives in Dubai and she like emailed me the day before. She's like, Hey, like, I don't know if this is going to be an issue, but like Dubai uh, banned Skype. Like I, we can't Skype. And I was like, oh shit. Like my recording mm -hmm. software is only for Skype. So I'm like, okay, well like figure it out. We tried Google Hangout. That was banned as well. And I was like, okay, yeah. um, let's try Facebook Live. I can get the recording and just take the audio. Facebook Live was also banned. And the only thing that worked was Instagram Live. I was like, holy crap. Like you never know. Like. Yeah, so, like mm -hmm. tomorrow, like something like, I don't know, like Twitter could be shut down or bought out by another company and then you're screwed. Yeah. And, and hopefully it isn't like totalitarian government regulation that leads to these things, because then we might have much worse problems de to deal with. But certainly you can expect it to come from the corporations themselves. And, and so be it. You know, Facebook has every right to change their algorithms. It's their platform. That's why don't build your home on somebody else's property. Yeah, 100 percent. Um, the other thing I was going to ask you is like, if you had to restart from like, just scratch and today was the day that you decided to go online for the first time, like what would you start with, with all the knowledge you have compared to what you did, you know, six years, seven years ago? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a very good, very good question. So, I mean, we kind of have to think of a few assumptions here. Do I, do I get an advertising budget to start or not? Uh, sure. Like, say sure. All right. Well, well then I would, do, <laughs> I would definitely do Facebook ads to an email list. Um, and, and to make this accessible, you do not need a large advertising budget to get good ROI from Facebook ads. Uh, you can start with a very little bit amount of money per week, per month, and with good targeting, with good copywriting, with good offers, uh, you can really um, build a lot of momentum that way. So I would do pretty much what I do now, which is I have a series of offers, which I advertise through Facebook to get people to come onto my daily email list. Those offers range from a collection of kettlebell workouts. So I have a 101 kettlebell workouts guide. I have a five-day kettlebell fat furnace metabolic conditioning challenge. So I would continue with that um, because that has always done well for me. And Facebook is an amazing platform for advertising. It won't figure things out for you. So, I mean, you still have to understand your market. You still have to understand the messaging. Um, 
Those are those skills that we were talking about. But once you have those skills, Facebook has the tools to let you make it all happen, to make sure you get the message in front of exactly the kinds of people you want. Um, Nothing is more powerful than Facebook for that. Um, It requires a bit of homework and skill development on your end, but once once you got that, Facebook is the place to go. Now, if I if I wanted to continue on beyond that, I would uh, focus on the uh, without a budget. I would focus on places probably like Instagram, where you can use hashtags and and, and pure content to still gain a decent amount of traction organically. But at the same time. I'm making sure that I'm using that platform to drive people back to the email list. So the big thing for me in my business, it always comes back to the email list. If I'm doing any type of content marketing, whether it's paid, whether it's organic, it has to tie somehow, maybe not instantaneously, but eventually into building my email list because that's where I really develop the relationship with people that I I provide the greatest amount of value and that ultimately – it, that's where the conversions take place, where, where people become members of Strong On, they go on to my coaching programs, certifications, etc. No, that makes a lot of sense. And maybe what you could touch on is like if someone was brand new to creating a Facebook ad for like a newsletter sign up, like what are some good strategies that someone could put together? So one, their ad doesn't get disapproved because they wrote something stupid or used the wrong image like what are some simple steps that someone can get started yeah. today? Yeah, very good. Um, don't be ridiculous or bombastic. I was talking to Mike Isratel on my show the other day, and we were both agreeing. You know, if if you try to like, if you're hyperbolic in your claims, it's just a, a race to the bottom. And so many people in the online fitness industry, they they just don't tell the truth. You know, they're very misleading. So I w- I would avoid that. Because one is you're going to attract the wrong people if you do that anyways. Number two, you're mo- more likely to get banned and disproved. So if you focus on you know, saying what is true, you still say it in an interesting manner, of course, when it comes to advertising. But really sticking to what's true, uh, you're going to attract the, uh, the type of people that you actually want. People who are looking for truth, they aren't. You know, looking for that one quick, easy trick, right? That that one simple. I always think of that ad that that one simple trick or the one easy trick or never eat this food. Like, avoid all that garbage, right? Um, but fundamentally, everything in marketing comes down to the offer, right? So if you always think about what is my offer at every step along the way, you really can't go wrong. Now, now what what is a good offer? A good offer is something that is maximally enticing to somebody. Right, so a good offer is something that's maximally enticing. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means you have to understand who you're going for and what they're likely to respond to. So, for example, my 101 kettlebell workouts guide is an offer that I've been running through various advertisements for almost seven years. I would say that this is a maximally great offer. It's something that has done consistently well for me for a period longer than most any ad should survive. But the reason it's it's a really good offer is because it it offers a very it offers something that people really want and it, it and it both arouses curiosity and makes a promise. So my ads are very simple. It's like, hey, here's 101 of my best kettlebell workouts uh, for burning maximum calories in minimum time. Right. So simple, appealing, or um, and I have many variations around that ad. But if somebody is interested in short, intense type of workouts that they can do at home with kettlebells. Uh, they ha- especially if they have a set of kettlebells, which are the types of people that I tend to target or they or they enjoy using kettlebells at the gym. Well, then 101 free workouts 
um, especially the ones that I do that are tend to be um, quite interesting and intense based around a lot of kettlebell complex training, that's going to be very appealing to them. And it always has been. So, I mean, if you can make your offer as brain dead as possible, as appealing as possible at every step along the way, that's the mindset that you should try to maintain. So what do I mean by every step along the way? Well, the first step is getting them onto your email list. So what are you going to give them in exchange for their information? For me, that's a lot of different things, but my 101 kettlebell workouts guide is, you know, is, is just one step. Then what are you going to give them in exchange for their attention? I mean, you got to, now you got to get people to read your emails, to open your emails. So now you have to think, well, how do I write really good, entertaining, informative, and, and value forward emails. And that's another skill you have to develop. And then from there, what am I going to give them to get them to become clients or customers or things like that? Always think about the offer. If you can, if you can every step along the way, sit down and really hammer, what would be maximally appealing to somebody in this situation? You, you probably won't go wrong. No, that was really good advice. Um, I'm kind of curious, like, what are you uh, doing right now for continued education? Like, what are you reading? What are you watching? What are you consuming to kind of better yourself in business, in coaching, and just life in general? Yeah, no, it's um, it's one of my favorite subjects. So, um, you know, I, I do practice what I preach. I am a generalist, so I read everything. I'm I'm really big into philosophy. So most of the time, you'll you'll if you catch me reading, it'll probably be a philosophy book, or or work of um, fiction. I love fiction also, a lot of the, the great writers. So um, in general, yeah, books on philosophy, science, art, writing. Um, I, I don't want to, I mean, I have my bookshelf here. I don't want to like go through, go through everything on here because it certainly <laughs> wouldn't be interesting to most people. But, but, you know, philosophy is a really good one because philosophy teaches you how to think. It teaches you how to be logical. It teaches you how to operate at those much deeper principles of life it, it really gives you orientation and if you can get that then that's then then the nitty-gritty is just you're going to figure that out that's going to take care of itself most people are opt- operating on the level of like minutia or, or tactics um, and then above that you have strategy but then uh, even above that or below that if we're talking like an iceberg you have you have principles right so that's really when i try to educate myself I, I try to go as deep as i possibly can is as close to the root of all things as i possibly can because that's where you're going to learn the most and that's what's going to carry over the most into other areas of life nice now the other like thing- for, so so for example just to give a yeah. you know a lot of people when it comes to copywriting they want to they want a book on copywriting right I, w- I would argue no go to go to aristotle and study rhetoric right because if you can get rhetoric then copywriting is easy, right? Then, then all the tactics of copywriting, you read a thousand books on the different various tactics of copywriting and you'll still not be a good copywriter. But if you go and study the greats on, on rhetoric, then then you'll then all those tactics, like you'll just be able to invent those yourself would be one example of what I mean. Man, you are so freaking smart with this stuff. <laughs> just blown away. <laughs> um, the other thing, this is going to be like more of a selfish, a selfish question for me because... I have my own podcast and what's interesting is that out of all like I consider it a social media platform but from everything I'm doing my podcast is the fastest growing thing and I get the most like feedback from it and people reaching out to me and things like that compared to Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So mm-hmm. I'm kind of curious because you have your own pod- podcast as well like what are you doing it doing with it to kind of grow it I want to say faster but just in a smart way 
if that made sense. Yeah, no, also a good question. I, and I forgot to mention podcasting before, and podcasting is great. That is something I would continue to do if I was starting over again. And a lot of it is ease of consumption. You know, people can take podcasts on the go, right? They can't read a book while they're driving to work, for example. And that's what that's what makes them so appealing. Or, or they can't read a book while they're going for a run. Um, so it's a really good way to it's, – it's a media, right? So when it, when it comes to marketing, you always think message – market and media and you got to try and line those things up in the most efficient way possible and podcasts have become a, a really powerful tool in that regard so the podcast works both ways uh f- you know i use it in a number of ways um to grow my podcast um i do direct advertising as well so sometimes i will directly directly excuse me advertise a podcast other times i will directly advertise to my email list but within my email list, say, sequence, so every time somebody comes into an email list, they'll get a, a series of, of emails that kind of welcomes them to what I do, that talks about these principles of generalism. Here's what I'm about. Here's what you can expect. And within that sequence, I will introduce them to my podcast and grow my subscribership that way. So that would be an indirect advertising method. So I'm directly building my email list, but by directly building my email list, I'm also indirectly building the subscribership to my podcast. Now, other times I will, if I have a really great episode that I want to get more exposure around, or I think this would be a great episode for people um, to hear first, then I will, <coughs> excuse me, I'll, I'll uh, advertise that directly as well, you know, through Facebook or, or Google or things like that. So similar methods to what I'm doing for the email list, just kind of tucked in there in the same way, um, has been has been really useful for me. So that's that's where I would start, especially if you have a budget to do that. Um, otherwise. You know, I think a lot of people, when they get in the online world, they, they forget about just how powerful referrals are. Now, anybody who's been personal training or has owned a gym, you know how important referrals are. There's there's nothing better for growing a business um, more effectively and for less money than just doing a good job and asking people to help you spread the word. So I think people forget that when either when it comes to online coaching or, or any content marketing, but especially podcasting. You know, if you're doing a good job, you're providing value. Don't be afraid to to ask favors to people. Hey, you know, leave a review or, or pass this along to a friend, and just consistently asking people for those favors, they'll, they'll often be helpful to repay those favors because they are getting value out of your out of your podcast. But you have to ask. Don't just don't just assume people are going to do that. You have to make a call to action, so to speak. So those would be the two things that I would focus on first, uh, you know, for really kind of gaining exposure around the podcast. Yeah, because I find podcasting interesting that, you know, the moment that someone finally clicks one episode and listens, and if your show is just, like, decent, they're like, oh, my God, like, there's so many more episodes. I could, like, keep going. It almost becomes, like, a Netflix binge almost. And I think maybe that's why my podcast has been growing so quickly compared to everything else. Because, you know, when you're scrolling through Facebook, like your attention span is so short. But if you're going to take the time to listen to one episode, that's an hour. You're probably going to be invested to listen to more and just have them lined up as you go along with your day. But um, I've been noticing a lot more coaches starting podcasts. And I've even had people email me and message me on Facebook. You're like, so how do you get good at podcasting? And I'm like, I don't know how to answer that question. Cause I just, I just talk to people like, but some people just don't know how to kind of like make this work for them. And I think it kind of comes down to what are your strengths and weaknesses? Like 
I'm really shitty at video. Like I, like I, I try my best, but I don't have a personality for video. But for some reason, when I'm just talking to someone like this, I'm like, I'm engaging. I can like ask the right questions. And I think it's just for all the people who are interested in podcasting, I think it's just, you need to figure out if it's for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You, you make an excellent point. And I often say the same things. It's it's not an excuse not to get better at things. Yeah. Um, because if that was the case for me, then I would have never have started anything. So you do have to get started. That's that's the first point. And you're typically not going to be good at anything right away, but you'll certainly have proclivities, right? I'm with you, man. I um, you know, writing has always been a strength for me. So I I, I tended to do a lot more of that than even speaking. Speaking is something I've had to work a lot harder at. It's not a natural thing for me. Um, I, I'm actually easier on video than I am on a podcast. So I would say podcasting is is generally my weakness. Um, but I've worked at it and I worked hard and I didn't give it up, but definitely go in on your strengths first, because if nothing else, that will give you the confidence to then go and improve your weaknesses rather than if you constantly start out on your weaknesses, you know, it's hard to get those wins out of the gate and you want to get those wins because winning builds confidence. And then the more confidence you have, the more things you're going to want to go out and conquer and get good at. So I, I agree 100%. You can succeed through any type of media, writing, video, podcasting, because people do all the time. So start with what you enjoy and what you're good at first. And then if the others make sense, you know, and you're not as good at, the, at those, well, then take the time to learn the skills and develop them. And you might find, like I did, that podcasting, which I just, I wanted to run the experiment. I, I dedicated myself to getting better at it and doing it for at least three months. I had no inherent interest or enjoyment in doing it. it now it's, it's one of my favorite things. I absolutely love it. Nice. Now, the other thing I wanted to bring up is like, you know, there's so much information out there about, you know, getting online clients and what's the best strategy. But, you know, the moment you get an online client and you're coaching them, like, what's the best way to kind of keep them engaged? Because it's kind of hard when, you know, when, when you have someone in front of you and you're talking to them, like, it's a little bit easier to keep them going. Whereas if you're emailing your client every day or you're doing Skype calls, like, what's your method to keep you know, your online clients kind of engaged and following along with the plan. Yeah. So again, it comes back to setting expectations at the start. So to work with me, there's a lot of barriers people have to jump through. So that's part of it. And that's a big part of it. So in, in order to even work with me, you're going to have to be engaged because you're going to have to jump through a, it's kind of like a Zen monastery. Like I'm going to try and send you away as much as I can before I say yes. Um, because I know that for us to have a productive relationship, certain expectations must be met and accepted on both sides of the party. So there's a pretty thorough application process, uh, pretty thorough agreement process of, Hey, here's what to expect. Here's, you know, what the amount of work is going to be. Here's the typical results you can, you know, I lay it all out there. Here's what I'm going to demand for you. You must be willing to do this, this, and this. If you don't, then I have every right to fire you as a client. And also here's what you can expect from me. Here's, here's my end of the bargain. And then also price. I'm quite expensive so far as trainers and coaches go. So they have to be willing to make that financial, financial commitment, which requires a fair amount of skin in the game. And that's important too. Um, I think people should put skin in the game. If they're serious about something, you have you should be willing to invest in that something. Um, I did that with my own fitness. 
I've done that with my business many times. I can continue. I continue to do that. Make sure you have something to lose. And if you're a coach, make sure that you set it up where those who are coming to work with you also have something to lose, that they have some skin in the game. So for me, it comes down to setting expectations at the start, um, making those as rigorous and as concise as possible. So, so people come in with the right state of mind. Um, and from there, getting, I mean, getting them re- results is, is huge. So if they expect a certain amount of results and then you over deliver on those results, there's no way that they're not going to be engaged. So it's a lot of front end work that I think people forget. People, people try and, you know, work on engagement or retention. Um, once the relationship coaching relationship starts, I would say, no, you, you have to go back. You have to think about all the things that are first leading up to that coaching relationship that are really going to make the difference to sustain that engagement. No, I really like that. And I almost like think of it as like, you know, when you sign up for a university course, you get the syllabus and like, here's the outline of the entire semester. And like, this is what we're going to do. This is how many quizzes, exams, tests, whatever you got. I I really like that approach. Like just the idea of it. So the client kind of knows what they got themselves into and not just like, oh, you're going to check in with me every day. What the hell is this? (laughs) Yeah. And not only that, but think about the universities. There's barriers to entry. Maybe not as many as there were before, but it's it's a rigorous thing. You had to work hard to get into a decent university. You had to want, not everybody gets in. So you need to set up your coaching model the same way. And people like, well, I don't really have any clients right now. Well, then limit your entries to just working with two people at a time, whatever you need to do, right? To just to make it competitive and have barriers to entry and set standards. That's so, people... You need to have standards for everything in life. If you don't have standards, you're just going – everything in your life will descend into barbarism. You need to have standards for your coaching. You need to have systems because systems are what produce predictable and repeatable results. That doesn't mean every client gets the same program, but every client should go through a similar process. So if you don't have systems, you need to start to develop those as well. And part of that system is the intake process. How do people apply? How do expectations get set? Um all of that. It all needs to be considered. It's not an easy thing, um, but as we talked about at the beginning, <laughs> nothing about running an online business is necessarily an easy thing. Yeah. That said, once you have the systems in place, it then becomes seamless, and that's where the scalability comes into play. So it might be easier at first to not put develop the systems, but then you just have headaches and you don't make any progress. Put in the work up front, develop those systems, and that's how you're going to grow. Solid. like that answer. Um so maybe for the last question, because we're coming up to an hour, I'm kind of curious because the fact that you're a father, like how are you going to you know, parent your kids to kind of make sure that fitness and health is a priority in their life, but not pushing it so much that they absolutely hate it and go to the opposite direction? Yeah, well... This is a this is a good like deep philosophical question and you know my my job as a father is to instill certain values into my kids that's that's a job of parents you you have to provide a value system for your kids and my hope is that I can transfer my own value system that I've developed over time that I wasn't necessarily provided but uh, came into through years of making mistakes and studying and trying to correct those errors. Now, all kids are going to make mistakes and there's nothing that I'll ever be able to do to make sure that they perfectly just assimilate my values and, and work accordingly to them. I would say my value system that I'm going to try and you know, and that I have been trying to instill to my kids is the idea of freedom for excellence. 
you know, there's there's two types of freedom in life. There's there's freedom of indifference, right? And that's being able to choose which direction you want to go. This is this is like the liberty type of freedom. Don't tread on me. Tyrants are bad. And I agree with that. That is a great freedom to have. But it's only a necessary and not sufficient means for happiness. If if you want to be happy, which everybody does, and children want to be happy too, and this is how you kind of convince them of the of the worthiness of, of this value system. If you want to be happy, you need a different type of freedom. You need freedom for excellence. And freedom for excellence is willfully choosing not to act in certain ways. It's willfully choosing to live a life that is disciplined, that follows a certain set of restrictions and procedures and habits because it is that way of life where you will actually gain the most amount of freedom, where you will actually be most fulfilled. Because freedom really, in this model, is tied to ability. So for example, on the guitar, on freedom of indifference, I can choose to buy a guitar, right? But I don't have the freedom to express myself on the guitar. If I want to have the freedom to actually play the guitar, I have to discipline myself. I have to I have to practice according to a certain set of restrictions. I can't just decide to play the guitar however I want, right? Because I'll learn bad habits. I'll, I'll, I won't get better that way. I have to follow a set of rules. We'll apply this to everything in life. Apply this to ethics. Apply this to virtues. Apply this to fitness and nutrition. It stands in every area of life. If you want freedom of excellence, if you want happiness, you have to willingly accept that I'm going to have to live to a certain set of restrictions and rules, that I'm not going to be able to do everything that I want all the time, because if, if happiness is what I seek, a fulfilled life is what I seek, which everybody really does want, then freedom of indifference is simply not enough. I have to have a much deeper value system for that. And for me, that's freedom for excellence. And that's what I'm trying to teach my kids. Very, very desperately trying to teach my kids. I don't know if it's effective yet. They're still very young, so I still have a lot of time to do it. But uh, that's the approach I'm taking. Boom. Mic drop on that one. That was awesome. Um, So very last question. Where can people find you online? What projects do you have coming up? And anything else you want to plug, you can just go ahead and do that right now. Oh, sure. Um, Chroniclesofstrength.com is my primary website. Um, If you want to hear from me more often, the best place is my email list, and you can join that right on my website. Or you can, that 101 Kettlebell Workouts Guide, you can grab that. That's 101. The number is 101, kettlebellworkouts.com. That'll give you a, you know, a fairly hefty collection of some of my favorite, um, kettlebell workouts all geared towards maximizing general physical preparedness uh what else am i working on oh well my my book so i have this book coming out of january next year which is all about kind of the philosophies we discussed here of generalism that's a ways off so you don't have to pay too much attention to that yet but that that's what i'm working on that's my main project right now um nose deep in that every morning so when that's done i'll i'll feel quite relieved and, and hopefully i'll be very happy with it as well but um yeah that's where my focus is at least for the next five to six months. Awesome. So thank you so much for your time. This was just plain amazing. Raphael, I mean, thank you. This has been a great conversation. I hope we get to do it again. All right. So that's going to wrap up episode 110 with Pat Flynn. Uh, the one thing I wanted to bring up, if you are not signed up already to my wonderful 
Cut the Shit, Get Fit newsletter. So every week I post in um, all my current thoughts on the fitness industry, you know, helpful blogs that I've written or read during the week and wanted to share some videos, some workout videos that I put together and just awesome content that I send to my list every week. So if you want to be part of my little Cut the Shit, Get Fit community, Um, I'll post a link in the show notes where you can just put your email and I'll automatically add you to the list and I will continue sending you even more awesome information other than just podcast episodes every week on Monday. And that is it for me. Until next week, you guys.